it's a tough tightrope to walk. Oh god. Oh, no, we lost Madigan. <laughs> no, not Madigan. <laughs> I'm I'm I could so easily go off the rails of g- getting really sleepy and tired and giggly. <laughs> Sorry, I dropped. It's okay. Madigan. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the So So Cool Podcast. Uh, this is the podcast where we listen to albums we liked when we were younger to see if they're still cool or if they're just so-so. My name is Brandon. I'm Joe. I'm Matthew. We're going to be discussing today the Mars Volta, uh, their release, Deloused in the Comatorium. But today we have an incredibly special guest uh, joining us and our first ever guest on the podcast, um, our good friend and former bandmate, Nick. Howdy. Hey, Nick. So Dr. Nick joining us here mm-hmm. was uh, was in our band and played guitar in the band. Did you have anything you wanted to say? I'll, I'll tell you, I, I've been thinking a lot about whether or not I think Omar, Omar Rodriguez Lopez is a good guitar player. And yeah. I, I think I have some parallels to draw uh between myself and omar that's interesting all right all right i i think i'll I'll give you the punchline now when we can think about it as we go um i think omar's a good guitar player uh but i think he's mostly a good guitar player in the mars volta Hmm. and i always felt that way about myself like i think i was a good guitar player in our weird little band uh, but you didn't want me to sit in and jam with your band. Okay, I I can see that <laughs> distinction. And I I kind of feel the same way about Omar. Like I wouldn't invite him to jazz night at the club. He no. would embarrass himself. Do you think Omar is a good guitarist in his other projects in addition to Mars the Mars Volta? I mean, they're all basically the Mars Volta. I, I think maybe maybe sort of uh, maybe a better comparison. I think he's maybe like a, a Frank Zappa. Right, like he's a good guitar player, but really his skill is he's a really good band leader, mm-hmm. and he does that while holding a guitar. Well, how's everybody doing? Doing pretty well. It was, it was a uh, like our first really hot day here. Did you get out hit. in the out in the heat? Well, I had to I had to fix our uh, our coolers this morning before before it got too hot. So I was up on the roof. Fiddling with stuff. There's, Fiddling there's on the, the roof. Fiddling. <laughs> That's a musical joke, Joe. Setting them up and <laughs> knocking them down. I don't. I don't know about uh, musicals, but what have what have you been up to today, Kizzy? Today, uh, well, we went for like a long walk, and then I introduced uh, my older son to the game Goldeneye, and Woo! we. <laughs> We uh, first-person shootered each other for a little while, and it was really fun. That's fun. I've I rediscovered nice. that game recently as well. That game was playing with my neighbor. It's really good. Yeah, I get I get my butt kicked though. I'm so bad at it. 
I remember I always loved to play it at sleepovers in junior high, and I was so bad, but it still was so fun, and I'd want to play it till three in the morning. Yeah, and also uh, one of the highlights of my day. Do you guys, do you guys have voicemail that has transcription that goes to your email? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's always hilariously wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have saved some, and I found an old one that uh, was so funny that I thought I'd share it. Um, someone called my voicemail and said something, and this is the transcribed email I got. It says, hello, my name is Mexican Users. I like Dirty Dirty. <laughs> I called about my feelings. Okay, call me back. <laughs> was it Was it Cedric? Is this how we segue into the album? <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> uh, what about you, Joey B.? Um, well, I went to a basketball game today. That was nice. Ooh. Um, yeah, that was fun. And that was pretty much it. I mean, the game was at noon. So what, I got what home. What sort of basketball are we talking here? Uh, WNBA. All right. All right. But, uh, no, it was very fun. Um, and then, yeah, I got back a couple hours before we started. So I listened to some Mars Volta and some RX Bandits, actually. Ooh. Yeah. We'll have to talk about that later. Yeah. Totally. But that's it. Anybody else got anything they want to say? There's one more thing I want to say, but I'll save it. Say it. Say it. Say it. Well, I just I, I just want to say the Deer Hunter released uh, my favorite band, the Deer Hunter, and it's D-E-A-R Hunter. It's not the band Deer Hunter. Uh, but they released a new song about a week ago and announced a release date for their new album, which will be July 1st. So I'm super excited about that. And by the time this episode airs, it's very likely that that will have just come out. So everybody check out the new Deer Hunter album. Woo! Should we? I feel like we should do an episode where we compare a Deer Hunter album to a the Deer Hunter album. I saw the I saw the Deer Hunter sort of accidentally the other deer hunter the deer hunter or my my, the, de- my the deer hunter no i've seen deer hunter the band live the band yeah <laughs> well i went to see the dirty projectors a couple of years ago and they were the headliner um i like which, dirty dirty yeah um <clears throat> the dirty projectors were really good and we left during deer hunter because we yeah. were like, this is loud. Now that you're saying this, really I, good. I feel like maybe I saw the same tour. It's possible. It was like 2018 or 19. It wasn't that long ago. Nope. nope. It was obviously, that. yeah, it was pre-pandemic, uh, but it was not that um, pre-pandemic. I think it was summer of 2019. All right. Well, so we're talking today the Mars Volta, which we've already done our Groovist small episode. I would say that the Mars Volta is the other band that our band drew direct inspiration from. Um, if if you were to break it down to what two bands had the most influence directly on our band and on us uh, in our early and late teens, early twenties, the Mars Volta would be one sometimes, of the top two. Sometimes in unhealthy ways. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I was, I liked them, but I don't know that they were as influential for me. Uh, I don't, 
But I'm talking about the band. I think mm-hmm. the band really was influenced on the whole with the Mars Volta. That's a fair statement. You didn't have a choice. You were getting dragged along with it. <laughs> I think the rest of you got really into much more um, that early 2000s era of prog rock revival stuff. And I think I did like it, but I think I, I you know, started going a little bit of a different direction. And I remember you all making fun of me for not playing rock and roll so well anymore. Um, <laughs> the, the story you're referring to is that we, when we went to record our last album, the, uh, the guy who recorded us, who had recorded our previous album, looked at us while you were warming up and said, very like very politely <laughs> trying to not be offensive was like when's the last time fairy played any like rock and roll do you think <laughs> is this indicative of what he's going to be playing <laughs> it was true i hadn't played rock and roll in a while i was i mean we yeah we spent that whole summer playing in my parents garage to a metronome right oh right yeah you weren't yeah, yeah we didn't have our drummer live in the room at that point no I was doing stupid avant-garde jazz. Ooh. Hey. The way you say that, no part of me believes you think it was stupid. (laughs) I think it was cool. Um, Uh, No. Well. (laughs) I'd say that the last batch of songs that we wrote um, were heavily influenced by this kind of music, but also... By the Mars Volta specifically, but also like, you know, we talked about Groovis and um, I think our last batch of songs was heavily influenced by the Groovis album. album. Yeah. Maximum Unicorn. I remember trying to write. Well, I was going to say Simon more so because Simon was like more of like a lot of rock, rockier kind of um, and less like overtly jazz influenced stuff. So I think that was, you could definitely hear it. And then I think also there were some things that are a little bit more embarrassing, like the way we looked <laughs> and danced on stage and stuff like that. I loved your dance moves. Let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> Probably still responsible for how tight my pants are at work. 100%. Yeah, we, yeah, we need to talk about this. So uh, Dr. Nick and Joe uh, both really wanted to look like uh can you put that picture in the in the like show show notes notes? yes (laughs) or just yes yeah my hair doesn't do that anymore did it do without product because it was quite yeah i never wore any kind of product no that was natural wow the way it did that yeah i'm gonna crack open a tab and see what uh what they're all looking like these days yeah do it well, they look pretty much the same, at least the two guys. Um, yeah, there's a certain yeah. kind of, like, rock star that just sort of doesn't age over the decades. Or they age, but they sort of don't change their styles. And, I, and I'll also say that, like, our band, suddenly on our final record, we started having, like, instrumental songs going from one song to the other and some, like, interstitial, like, sound effects and stuff like that that we had never... And, uh, like, the vocals, like, you were manipulating your vocals a little bit in a... Volta-y way. Yeah, yeah. That's the one thing I did find really irritating about this album, I have to say. 
Is it the noodling or just the 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 noise? The noise. The amount of processing that they put on vocals in particular, mm-hmm. just like everything has a ring modulator on it. It's like chill, chill out, guys. God, that was Rick. That was Rick. Yeah, it was all Rick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Legion of Fans will mm-hmm. not understand that we have done. This will be our third album we're doing that Rick Rubin produced, but. Only the first that's going to be heard. <laughs> yeah, we'll go back to Audio Slave one of these days. <laughs> so the Mars Volta formed in El Paso, Texas in 2001. Uh, they're essentially, the, the band's essentially Omar Rodriguez Lopez and Cedric Bixler Zavala. Uh, the other members who play on the albums and tour with them live were often referred to as the Mars Volta Group. So they kind of got relegated um, to less than <laughs> Omar and Cedric. Uh, now, so backing up, they were fairly known from At The Drive-In, which was their band. At The Drive-In was post-hardcore, and they broke up right as they were reaching kind of like new heights and new fans um, and breakthrough success. And then they ended up throwing in the towel. Uh, I think due to, like, not getting along super well. Um, we talked on the Groovis pod about how Groovis had come to our local uh, our venue. that was It was called The Wire in, Pe- in Pennsylvania. And At The Drive-In played there, too. I don't know if you... Did you know this, Nick? I, I did, but it was before it was... It was before our time. It was late 90s. It was probably, like, I don't know, like 99, 2000 or something like that. Yeah, um, I think it was possibly 98 or 99 from what I remember seeing. Because um, it, it would have been before, like, Relationship of Command yeah. came out. Yeah, so they played Groovis and Omar and Cedric were in our <laughs> our venue that we always played at The Wire, which is insane when, when I think about it. Um, and it's pretty awesome. So there was At The Drive-In, and then when At The Drive-In broke up, uh, they did a band called de facto for a while that was kind of dub reggae and more experimental. And then they formed the Mars Volta. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about is that a lot of the mid two thousands progressive rock bands up for kind of like that new Prague era had a lot of them had come out of the post hardcore scene. And I was just thinking, I didn't do a lot of research. I was just thinking about like the fact that Circa survive had uh, Anthony Green from Seosin and uh, I forget the other guy, but he was from This Day Forward. They were both post-hardcore. Coheed and Cambria was originally more of a post-hardcore screamo band. Uh, there was a band called The Receiving End of Sirens. They were post-hardcore, and uh, that was the band that Casey from The Deer Hunter was in before he went off and did The Deer Hunter. I didn't know that. Uh, the Sound of Animals Fighting was a super group of sorts. I mean, it's not even of sorts. They were a super group with members from Finch and Seosin and RX Bandits. Um, so it's kind of cool. A lot of these guys sort of came out of the same scene and then progressed sort of into this other kind of music together. It's kind of an interesting way of looking at this stuff because, like, perhaps such um, like a a stark dichotomy existed in like the original kind of when like 
Prague from like the seventies and early eighties, but it's, it's interesting that a lot of this, um, music from the early two thousands was coming out of basically a punk lineage. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't know, it, it feels like there's kind of, um, an evolution for certain bands where they're like, uh, we got good at our instruments and now <laughs> we want to do something different, you know? Yeah, totally. From something I think I read somewhere, I, I really think Mars Volta is sort of credited as sort of being one of the, like, ushering in this new Prague era. And uh, I, I would say that um, I don't think I talked about prog rock or progressive rock that much before I started listening to the Mars Volta. Like we had already listened to Groovis, but I don't think, I don't think I talked about progressive rock nearly as much. Like Prague was more in our minds, maybe rush and yes. And yeah. We, 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 you know, we were, we were listening to Zappa and we were listening to, uh, Mahavishnu and Bungle and these people that had experimental elements, but I don't think we talked about it as progressive rock until a little bit later i yeah i don't know that i necessarily had the vocabulary for it to be honest like yeah i don't think i would have thought of because i didn't really listen to much rush personally um Mm. so i don't know that that's like where my head would have gone my head would have gone to like zappa um and that sort of thing mahavishnu that sort of thing um i remember like one of the first it's funny because one of the very first it was both my introduction to prog rock on the one hand and also jazz my brother gave me the tribute to jack johnson the miles davis record from 71 or 72 and it's um it's uh oh god who's on that it's i think like chick korea herbie hancock um and john mclaughlin on guitar and it's like this it's sort of this blend of um jazz and and rock in a really interesting way and that for me was like my gateway into all of the prog rock stuff so for me i don't know that i yeah i don't know that there's like a clean version or like canonical thing that i would think of as prog in my head because that's crazy that it was a tribute to jack johnson did they do banana pancakes (laughs) you couldn't hold it together (laughs) i'm sorry joe were you starting to talk (laughs) no no it's fine um yeah i was just gonna say i remember getting a yes album because of the mars volta because i think i read somewhere that they were really into yes um but yeah, my impression I think before that would have been that that stuff was lame, right? Like Russian, right. yes. Before they recorded Delouse, they recorded a three-song EP called the Tremulant EP, um, and we talked a little bit about that on our on our text texting this week. But um, yeah, that definitely sounded more like a bridge between. It sounded maybe more like at the drive-in than, than the Mars Volta. Um, certainly Cedric's vocals still sounded at the drive-in-esque. I'd be interested in knowing kind of the evolution of his singing because he seemed like he made like a big shift in that like one-year period from uh, Tremulant to Deloused. I I like Tremulant, um, but yeah, I agree. It feels a lot more like just raw. I remember... 
our friend Fedge, uh, who was talking about this, and he was like, I don't know what's going on with the Mars Volta, because I heard at the drive-in, and that dude can't sing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like one of my, I think my favorite parts of this record were the vocals, and I think why I got annoyed at how much they processed them and manipulated the vocals, because I thought they were just, I wanted to hear them more clearly on their own, and the moments where they don't process them, and he just sounds like Freddie Mercury, are like my favorite moments of the record. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a big part of why I like Francis the Mute more. Is it's yeah, like Cedric clearly made a decision that he was going to learn how to sing. Yeah, and I think Francis the Mute might have been the height of it. Yeah, I think Rick Rubin had a lot to do with this. I saw Omar and Cedric talking in a interview I watched that said Rick is all about the vocals and he takes most of the time on the vocals he says the vocals are the most important thing and in a previous episode when we talked about Blood Sugar Sex Magic um, we talked about how we saw the behind the scenes of them of Rick Rubin recording Anthony Kiedis and how Anthony Kiedis sounded horrible and he sounds so good on the album so Rick Rubin, whatever he did, um, he's good at getting great performances out of lead out of lead singers. Now I also think he produced the the shit out of it. So that also has something to do with the the vocals being like so glossy and so affected um, that they all, they sound otherworldly in like the in <laughs> in inertiatic or whatever that song is called. Um, but it just sounds great. I feel like you're leaving a big part out of this, attributing it yeah. to Rick Rubin. I mean, they had Jeremy and Michael Ward for a lot of this, right? Who his, yeah. his his job was messing with Cedric's vocals, and he died before Francis the Mute. Well, he died like right, right? after this, uh, yeah. al- or even before the album came out. I think I have this yeah, in my notes. So. Me- yeah. So, yeah. So D. Louse was released on June 24th, 2003, produced by Rick Rubin and Omar Rodriguez-Lopez. The album is a concept album that was based on a short story written by Cedric and Jeremy Ward. Uh, the story is about a character named Serpentax who overdoses and is in a week-long coma and later comes out of the coma but ends up uh, dying by suicide. And the story was loosely based on the death of Cedric's real-life friend, Julio Venegas. There is so much death surrounding the guys in in this band. It's a little bit crazy. Uh, like, so many people that they were in bands with died. Um, like, it's... I, I don't remember if I wrote it all down, but Cedric was in a band prior to this where there were two female females in the band who died, like, in the same car accident. And it just feels like death was such a present thing it kind of makes sense why their music is focusing on death at this point. It just seems like, and, and what's so weird is that Jeremy Michael Ward ended up dying, um, right around the time of the release of this album. It doesn't strike me as that surprising. They've been very open that they were drug addicts. Like, I mean, they, they talk about smoking crack on tour without the drive-in pretty openly. Right, right, right. And, the, I mean, it's worth mentioning, too, they were super into, like, heroin and stuff during this album. But after Jeremy Michael Ward died, they sort of cleaned up their act drug-wise. Um, except that uh, Cedric 
has said that he was spending like a thousand bucks on pot a week which seems outlandish and then he got into scientology for a little while by like a year after he had done the scientology thing he was like really outspoken against it but he he credits them with cleaning up his act with yeah. uh with marijuana <laughs> yeah i mean if if you look at like omar's output right like clearly something dramatic happened in the man's life around 2005 like he went yeah. from putting out one record every couple of years to like 16 albums a year right right a couple of the albums a few of the albums and movies that came out in 2003 just for context uh hail to the thief by radiohead mm. came out in 2003 elephant by the white stripes jay-z's the black album give up by the postal service 50 cents get rich or die trying muse did absolution Michigan by Sufjan Stevens. Mm-hmm. Death Cab for Cutie did Transatlanticism in 2003. And Black Eyed Peas had Ella Funk. It's a great list. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've listened to most of those in the last three months. Yeah. And maybe maybe this is because of the period of time this was in our lives that these, that these things meant so much to us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we already mentioned, but this was like the summer we graduated from high school and started college after this and um movies yeah. that came out in 2003 lost in translation american splendor I, I you went through a paul giamatti phase right joe that you loved paul giamatti uh-huh yeah i like that movie a lot it was good mm-hmm. pirates of the caribbean curse of the black pearl wrong turn with eliza dushku <laughs> old school bruce almighty underworld the Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions came out in 2003, which is crazy yeah. to me. I think we saw The Matrix Reloaded at a midnight showing. We did. We That's did. Right. I yeah. think all of us, plus more, all went to see it opening night. Kill Bill, which I think a lot of us also saw together. I remember mm-hmm. at least our friend Nate was there, and uh, I bought nachos, and like in the first minute there's a really loud gunshot and i spilled the nachos all over the floor (laughs) (laughs) and i did not like the movie and i think it was because i was mad about the nachos (laughs) um mystic river uh charlie's angels full throttle x-men 2 ben affleck had geely and daredevil come out this year so shot (laughs) <laughs> uh, Agent Cody Banks and from Justin to Kelly. Wow. <laughs> you really had fun with the end of that list. Yeah. <laughs> this was the year that we all went to college and like people would have you would have like high speed internet. People would have iTunes playlists that you could listen to or oh, share you or whatever see itunes yeah. playlists across the network what an incredible yeah, time I remember that. and uh i think that that's also like part of like this obviously imprinted on us because of our age but also all that stuff was really accessible yeah like not only was the music accessible if not illegal uh you were surrounded by people who wanted to tell you what they liked Mm-hmm. That's what's missing now. Like I, I can listen to anything I want on online now, but uh, there's nobody in my life who wants to talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, 
And whenever anybody anybody talks to me about a band they like, I'm like, that's not a real band. <laughs> There's no like, way that's a band. That fucking <laughs> that definitely fucking sucks. Whatever. Yeah, it is. I don't I don't trust anybody. What's I've happening. never heard of any of the people that anybody listens to. <laughs> how did you guys how do you remember hearing about the Mars Volta? How do you remember getting that album and all that stuff I, I really liked relationship of command yeah I, I was into it which is at the drive-in yeah yeah I was really into at the drive-in and I think I had I could be misremembering this but I think I had a de facto record before uh, a Mars Volta record oh. whoa yeah, it's got some legit street cred yeah is that street cred or just meandering <laughs> I remember uh, at the drive-in um, because of the video, um, but I didn't think I don't think yeah. I listened to them con- contemporarily with like while they were still an active band. I think I I saw them. I don't remember. It was either on on Conan or or Letterman. Yeah. And I've gone back and watched this video like fifty times since then. Mm-hmm. They did this incredible one-arm scissor performance on one of these late-night mm-hmm. shows where they just wrecked the place. It was Conan. It's uh, it's excellent. It's so mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I, yeah. One-arm scissor was my introduction into at the drive-in. Yeah. I, I think I got it on Napster or something. Um, I, I want to say my sister got me into it. Yeah, Seems right. She was maybe cooler than me. She was. <laughs> Come on, man. She definitely was. There was. Was there a question of that? <laughs> I mean, you got a lot going for you, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, so you guys like. So my recollection is that I got more into this album, in col like my freshman year of college. Um, but I know that I heard of it and I was aware of them senior year of high school. So that would have been 2003 when it came out. Uh, but did you guys listen to it while we were in high school at all? I don't think so. I don't remember having listened to it in high school. I remember it sitting in my dorm room freshman year. That's, that's why I remember it starting. I believe a friend of ours from senior year recommended it to me. I don't, I didn't pursue it and I don't know if any of us did until we went to college, but that was... That was the first I heard of it. Well, here here's an interesting point. D. Louse didn't come out till after we graduated. Uh, it came out. It came in out in end of June, January of two thousand three, June twenty fourth, two thousand three. Okay. So unless you knew Tremulant in high he, school, he he very well may have known Tremulant. Or I mean, did they drop any singles before the album came out? I think Tremulant got a fair amount of traction given how popular they were. Yeah, as at the drive-in, right? Because Sparta came out very quickly as well, and there was like this huge kind of competition between the two, two of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I could be getting the um, chronology wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Point being, I I heard the name when we were still in high school, and then I didn't start listening to it until college. Explain to me who was in Sparta. Jim Ward was in at the drive-in, and he was the front man of Sparta. Yeah. Okay, so after At The Drive-In broke up, uh, some of the guys formed Sparta. Yeah, so I think I can do this. Hang on. Uh, Jim Ward played guitar. Uh, Paul Hinjos played bass. And 
guy who looks like Joe's brother played drums. <laughs> All I'm coming up with yeah. is Tony. Was his name really Tony? Yeah, Tony, Tony Hajar. H- mm. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I remember hearing an interview with, with Omar that, that made this split make sense to me. And, and he said, you know, he, he joined at the drive-in late. Like, it was, it was like Jim's band. Hmm. And Omar and Cedric joined later. I mean, they're probably still like 19 years old. But he said he always viewed it as his role to take these like nice kind of poppy punk songs that Jim wrote and just destroy them. <laughs> and uh, that just makes so much sense to me. That's exactly yeah. what he did in that band. And uh, <laughs> it's totally the vibe that like he and Cedric and... and uh, who is it? Jeremy... Jeremy yeah. Michael Ward. Jeremy Ward there it is. Yeah. yeah, bring to uh, to the Mars Volta. Yeah, Jim and Omar and Cedric had a pretty nasty uh, falling out for a while, I believe. Yeah. Um. So anyway, um, I have a pretty strong memory of the first time I heard the Mars Volta. It was at college, and a friend of mine at college. Uh, she was like, I think you'd really like this band. And she burnt me deloused. She was like, it's a concept album about a guy who overdoses and slips into a coma and then later dies by suicide. And she talked about how like the sonic sound of it was sort of supposed to uh, simulate that kind of thing, like the coma and the dying. And so I was a little bit freaked out to listen to it. And I remember being like, Oh, that sounds interesting. Um, and I remember being like a little bit a little bit freaked out. And then within the first two minutes I was like, Oh, I'm I'm totally in. After you got those hits into track two. Those are splooge worthy moments for us <laughs> <laughs> as nineteen year olds. I yeah, I really liked them back then. They feel a little uh, just give in I to will it. leave this podcast <laughs> just give in to it I don't know listening to it now they just feel really silly well <laughs> this is what's embarrassing about prog bands right this is like the thing that people make fun of like this this try hard kind of attitude and, and when it's obvious it's a little embarrassing yeah, yeah it feels a little it, it feels I, listening to it I felt a little embarrassed for them Cause it's like purposefully trying to be pretentious and like, yeah. I still really enjoy it, but I think it's hard to detach from just how much I liked it when I was young. Listen, this is a great album opening and I will die on this hill. Yeah. This is not a super obnoxious opening. I mean, it's not that long. It's not that wanky. Well, let's, let's just play it. Cause, uh, <laughs> I have some feels on this. This is the album opener, Sonnet Lumiere, which means sound and light in French. So let's talk about who played on this album while we're waiting for this. So uh, we had Cedric Bixler Zavala uh, on vocals, Omar Rodriguez Lopez doing guitar and bass, John Theodore on drums. Isaiah Ike Owens on keyboards. Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers played bass on all but two of the tracks. And Jeremy Michael Ward did effects and sound manipulation. 
who played bass on the other two? I, I don't know the name, but on Televators, there was another guy that played in the upright. is so angry <laughs> so that has my vote as the best moment on the album I don't know uh, wow I don't know that that's on. a shared wow. I don't know that's a shared uh, feeling but I just love that those hits I wrote that around 113 um I said, this is some shit we would have splooged our pants over in 2004. <laughs> yeah. Um, 2022, buddy. I'm still excited. <laughs> I, I, I love the opening. I, I, I don't know what to say. It's uh, The lyrics are nonsense. The, the, <laughs> the hits the are, are in no way uh, clever. Uh, I have this very strong memory of, of playing this for Will the first time. And uh-huh. him hearing the hits... And when he heard the upbeat, he yeah. full on rolled his eyes. He's uh-huh. like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> they're they're going to trick That's, me with that. <laughs> I, I agree with Will on that. I, I think, like, <laughs> I really like, so I'll say this I like the opening, but I find the trying to be clever with the hits really annoying. And I kind of just wish they had, like, chosen a few. Like the first, the first two, super cool, and then just get on with the song. Like you already got us. Like yeah. you got this opening. You got this beautiful like soundscape happening. You got these gorgeous vocals, and then you come in hard with these hits, and then just get on with it. But instead, you try to be like clever, and it's just like, yeah. I feel I feel well on that big eye roll. Maybe maybe not the hit the the roles that they all sort of play along with. Yeah, I would have kept that. The, yeah, those are fine, but they're like dun dun, yeah. and then the yeah, single I, I one, like yeah. is the single one like makes me so angry, and I don't know why. I'm just like, oh my god, you guys. Um, but we did that stuff. No, I know yeah. we did. Yeah, I'm yeah, saying this. Did. I'm saying this as as you know, as a an adult looking yeah. back. We thought uh, yeah. so hard about making them clever. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we did, and <laughs> we I tried so hard to do stuff like that. That's why when we heard it, it was like, oh. I do think the uh, ultimate, they could have um, compressed it, but the ultimate set of hits or whatever that leads into the next song is a pretty cool, like, build up and then it, like, you know, releases into that song. Um, I, I still enjoy that. Yeah. But yeah, they could have done it, like, with two or three. They needed all of them. <laughs> They were all necessary. (laughs) If you take one out, it ruins the whole song. They're not really that complicated. No, they're not. No, No. we were talking about that Primus podcast. I was listening to to that and like the um, some of the stuff that they do. 
you're like, what the fuck is happening? Like it, like you really would have to like sit down with a pencil and paper to figure it out. Um, which some people love that. And like this, um, in, in comparison, I was like, oh, like 15 years later, I remember pretty much where those hits are falling. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's kind of, yeah. yeah. Like I think sometimes bands like Primus do it in order to create a sense of chaos and unease. Mm -hmm. And in some ways I feel like that they're not quite trying to do that here. They're trying to create a sense of like, um, tension and build up sort of like momentum for the next track. Yeah. They could have done it in a really interesting way that didn't then get a big eye roll. Um, cause like you said, there aren't, it wasn't like they were doing anything really all that clever, but then they go a, a step too far where it's like, Oh, now you are trying to be clever. Why? Um, yeah. if the real purpose is just to move on into the next like hard hitting at the drive in feel song, then like, yeah. just yeah. why not just go for it? Like, you created enough tension with the first couple. It just felt silly. I totally get what you're saying, but I feel like when I hear this, I still remember how I felt the first time I heard it, which was like, this is the kind of stuff that I love. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's really hard to turn off like the, the I don't know, the, yeah. the analytical part of your brain or like the, the part of your brain that has taste now versus right. like the intense nostalgia you're being pummeled with. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's I, what's going to be hard about this podcast is uh, I, I tend to think about this stuff the same way I thought of it when I first heard it, and uh, so I it's good that we have we have people like Matt who can separate themselves from it more than I can. It really is. I'm I'm not being I'm being genuine there. It depends on it. It's going to depend on the album. I think I definitely had nostalgia goggles for Bjork. And I always will. Um, And so that like, and Mars Volta, I think I just did a little less so. Um, If this podcast is going to start speaking ill of Bjork, I'm out. Well, I would never, I, I would never. (laughs) That was last uh, week. Yeah. Yeah, But but Brandon might. But yeah, there's, there's some moments. Um, Bjork's hits are way worse than (laughs) this. They're way more clever. Um, (laughs) It's all like, just like the sound of a person going like (laughs) (laughs) but at just the perfect time yeah i'm looking forward to the show notes that are like the guys talk about hits for 25 minutes (laughs) how long are we on hits by at this point uh i will say though that i have have another note about this sorry go ahead go ahead i like i don't want to be i just i don't want to shit on it um, completely because I actually like I think the the ambient portion opening is actually really cool and mm-hmm. I think a lot of you know for a fairly mainstream album to start with this sort of soundscape um, for a full minute before anything else really comes in is really nice and kind of refreshing and I think actually the most effective use of their ambient stuff on this record uh, some of the other ambient stuff I take some issue with um but this part but this part to me felt like a good use of it um in creating that like you're sort of setting the scene uh it feels like an exposition and i guess like maybe that's what they're going for and that part that is effective i just take issue with the hits so yeah 
Uh, so we we went from Sonnet Lumiere into Inertiatic ESP, which was uh, or is it ESP? I don't know. It's it's ESP and it stands for something absurd. Okay. Uh, it is not extrasensory perception. Oh, I was gonna say. Oh. Is it like the? Like... No, it's some. I mean, it's it's you know Cedric's lyrics. It's it's ridiculous. I, I saw it the other day, and I'm not gonna be able to find it again. I should have written it down. Is it? The guitar he played? No, no. No, no Omar is way more pretentious than that. He's not playing off-the-shelf guitars. <laughs> All right, hang on. I, I found it at the bottom of the Wikipedia page. Uh, ESP stands for Ectopic Shape-Shifting Penance Propulsion. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sit with that. Uh, I'd rather not. <laughs> This is one of the biggest defenders of the vocals being so processed and so effective that it doesn't sound natural in the in the first song. Um, so I, I, I would say that uh, Rick Rubin, I already said this, but Rick Rubin uh, is the one I think who had a lot of big a lot of a hand in that in this in this album um and also in 2008 cedric said about working with rick rubin that he really oversimplified some of the parts that we thought were unique and just made them very digestible he's got this thing about representing the common man's ears i'd rather jab the common man's ears if we don't we'll never get to a place where future music exists so they were kind of uh at odds with Rick Rubin wanting to smooth their edges and make them a little bit more palatable. So do you think I, my sense of this would be that, I mean, I have no idea the relationship, so I'm, I'm merely speculating, but the amount of vocal processing, processing on this would be the Mars Volta and Rick Rubin trying to pare that down. Oh, that's interesting. That would be my guess. Cause there's so yeah. much, there's so much like noise and effects and processing of uh, the vocals on this and, and everything. I mean, like I said, I feel like everything has like, they're like, can we add some more ring modulator to this? Um, yeah. It'd be good to listen to like Amputecture or Bedlam and Goliath to really hear what, what it sounds like there mm -hmm. um, because they had way more control. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, on, on those. Yes, but again, they lost their guy. Yeah, right? I think they've really kind of viewed it as a different band without him. That's true. That's true. Because he was a, his his title was sound manipulator on this record, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, some of the great lyrics in this is "Its Musk was fecal in origin," <laughs> as the words dribbled off of its chin. Later in that, it says, um, "I." I always thought the part so where it says uh wit said I'm lost. I always thought he said wit's end. Like like you're at your wit's end. Like you're at your wit's end. I always loved the wit's end and that's not even what he says. It's he just says witch said. And so I was kind of upset to find that out cuz I was like, "Oh, I, that was I thought that was kind of cool." <laughs> so the yeah. the thing that I learned from this song that I think carried me through this record uh, many times is despite all this like 
heavily processed stuff, you know, this like general feeling of chaos. If you listen for it, there's always Ike and his Rhodes playing mm. something pretty sensible that holds mm-hmm. the whole thing together. It's yeah. great. I, I yeah. love that guy so much for what he does on this record. Yeah, I think the keyboard parts definitely stood out to me. Because, um, yeah, some of the guitar parts are so frenetic. Uh, it needs yeah. something to... And the, and, the, and the drums. I mean, the whole record of drums is just yeah. Yeah. chaos. Um, yeah, well, it's it's really clear in the chorus here. Like, you just get that simple, like, bump, 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 bump. Yeah, that, like, triplet part over yeah. the... That's such a cool part. Right? Yeah, I thought that was a guitar. Is there a guitar doubled? I th- it, I, or I, I thought it was a keyboard. I think it's all keyboard. listen to it? I think it's a keyboard part. Um, yeah, are there actually other notable moments you want to listen to on this? For... Um, in inertiatic yeah um well we maybe sh- could start earlier but i marked down three around 313 but i think there might be some hits that might cause uh, some consternation the hits on this one didn't bother me as much this is a good fleet contribution i I like their use of auxiliary percussion on this record. Juan, I think it's left to Ike to really hold a lot of this band together. Mm. Mm. This part it may be just the circus feel. Felt the most bungly to me. Oh yeah, I never thought about that, but that part I I love that. I don't even listen to the hits at that part. I hear I listen to the boom. Ba, 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 ba. I like yeah, I yeah, love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I just yeah, I think it's a strong start the album i'm i'm super pumped at this point same yeah i like this song um the vocals are just so good yeah yeah strong opening for for cedric yeah some of those moments i said this before but there are a couple of moments where i've i was like oh it's got a little freddie mercury moment um yeah when he hits that really high note and like a couple good guitar riffs to latch on to, right? Like, a lot of this album is real noodly. Yeah, it's very noodly. Yeah. And, well, that's uh, something. This has some. This has some riffs that are fun. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, this song feels. It's it. Yeah, this song definitely is more riff heavy than noodly, which when we get into if we want to talk about like the progressive rock stuff. Um, and the bass lines that in particular later on in the album I think this one definitely feels the least noodly 
uh, with maybe the exception of Televators. Mm-hmm. Fair. Roulette Dares, the haunt of. This feels very de facto-y in the drums in the beginning with the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely more at the drive-in feely. Yeah, very at the drive-in. What do we think? What do we think, gents? It's good. <laughs> this is like a big song. This is yeah. like I think, think the, about this. We'll song. have to drop in in different points in this one. It's yeah. It's never yeah. been my favorite one. I, I can't pinpoint no. why. I really like this song, and I think that some of the stuff later on, the like longer songs. Um, if they don't feel like they're long for a reason. Um, whereas this one, I feel like I, I hang with it. Like I'm like, I'm the dynamics, the, like the slower noodlier parts and then the big buildups. I I kind of, I, I enjoy it and I'm like with it and into it the whole time. Whereas like, we'll talk about them, but there are other songs that I don't feel that way. And I think I've always yeah. liked this one. I think I, the vocals in particular are really good on this one. I've always liked it, but again, it, yeah, like Nick said, it's not, it's never been one of my favorites, but I've always liked it. Um, I I wanted to say at some point, uh, so Pink Floyd's The Piper at the Gates of Dawn was a huge Ooh, influence that. on mm. Cedric and Omar, and it was like that was like they talk he talked in a in an interview cedric talked in an interview about how that was almost like they had a secret language about like with certain people who liked that that album it was like okay there there are people so i think um what i saw was that they had tried to make a record with the same kind of grandiose feeling as piper at the gates of dawn um which i thought was cool and i think you can really hear some of the big ideas and, and grandiosity um and that album came out a couple months after sergeant pepper which i That's think is kind of cool the first pink floyd record i ever heard it's the first pink the, floyd yeah. record period right is it yeah that's the first yeah. thing you ever heard it's the kind of that's thing crazy. you only get with uh with older brothers yeah i never heard it honestly depends on your older brother yeah, my <laughs> my older brother made me a mixtape when I was in eighth grade. It had Piper at the Gates of Dawn. It had Mr. Bungle, self-titled. It had um, Velvet Underground. It was a good mix, though. That's a good brother. But now that you say that, I I didn't I didn't make the connection, but I can definitely like now in retrospect, I can definitely see the Pink Floyd parallels yeah 
lot of noise. So it is a big. It's a big drum part, right? This is sort of the focus of of this this section yeah. of the song. Kind of, sorta. I view it more as a guitar solo meant, with an insane yeah, weird drum pattern. I feel like it's supposed to be more soundscapey and almost like noodly on the guitar. <clears throat> and in fact, I think they're kind of almost going for this noise bit, but they're staying in such a meter that that doesn't feel super. I I almost like I hearing this, I wanted them to fall out of the meter and uh-huh. then to like mm-hmm. reconstruct it. Cause they're like creating this, like, Oh, we just kind of like went into this soundscape, but they stay so structured to the meter Mm. that it's hard I, I find myself being like I want to hear them go further out like I want the I, I actually wanted the drums because it's like it's so fast and he's like trying to do all these hits with the drums um, and sometimes they're getting a little bit compressed and um, kind of faltery and that but because they stay in the meter it almost just feels a little I don't know I get really tired of it mm-hmm. and I wanted them to just kind of fall out of the meter and then reconstruct it and actually just go like even more like go crazier with the drums and like, let them be a, like just let them go out and just do weird, like go really virtuosic and like fall out of it. But he just kind of, he doesn't quite go there. It just stays I, in. I instead. Yeah. Hit on part of why this is not one of my favorite tracks. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I would I wouldn't blame it on on just the drumming, but like there's, it doesn't really let up. No. Yeah. The, yeah. There's That's no the, there's exactly. no it gets there's tiring. no time in this song, where you can like, kind of catch your breath. Mm-hmm. And that's I I kind of appreciate that about you know things that happen later in the album is like, you little break, you lose the yeah. rhythm for a minute. You listen to some guitars, some noises wash you over, and then they bring you back in. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. one really just hits you for three straight minutes. And yeah, and that's a really that, good point. That, that kind of be, it becomes a wash. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like I, if they had kept the f- like crazy drumming and like really blasting the the like, I feel like you could have done something interesting sonically, but not necessarily stayed in this. Just like keep the tempo going. It just starts. Yeah, I just get really my ears get really tired in this one i'm like just and there's interest and then they start kind of doing some interesting uh sounds but it's just all kind of blends together into this muddy mush it kind of happens a lot <laughs> on the record yeah skeletal <laughs> I mean, talk about parts that like you think of when you think of Deloused, the exoskeletal. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, that's yeah, kind of iconic if you like the Mars Volta. Definitely. Yeah, I really like the vocal performance on this song. Yeah, yeah, same. 
I wish they would just have removed the the effects on it, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's worth noting also with the Mars Volta, Cedric and Omar really incorporated more Latin music influence than they had in their previous bands, and they kind of went for it with incorporating that. I don't know if that was a good time to mention that or not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned the, the percussion a, a couple minutes ago. Yeah, I, they, yeah, they sort of take their their ethnicity as a license to to really go hard on it, and it, it works. Yeah, well, that's where like I think because uh, I really love the texture that the um, the the auxiliary percussion lends on this record, but it is really buried. You kind of have to like some of them stand out, but there's just so m- it's just like such a wall of sound that some of that stuff gets buried. Do we know who um, plays it? Oh, Lenny Castro. Oh, how about that? It's later Omar's brother, right? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. If I remember correctly, the song has kind of a long, somewhat self-indulgent, outro, noisy outro. Am I remembering that correctly? You know, I like that section. Uh, you know, I like that section if it didn't if it wasn't followed by another kind of interstitial noisy track. That's fair. Yeah. Um because yeah. I do think like what you said, the dynamics of the song, it's nice to have kind of a falling apart kind of but then the other the track that follows it is more more you know, of the not. Same. Yeah. yeah. Be- because you know it's coming, you're already kind of reaching for that. Yeah, you're like, all right, let's get to drunk ship. Yeah. Well, the next track is um, also an instrumental, and that that I don't know it. We could listen to a a, a bit of it. Let's listen to a bit of it and talk about Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> yeah. And I believe this is "Throw Me to the Spiders." Ah. So the reason I bring up Beto is in the early 90s, uh, Cedric played drums and was a vocalist for a band named Foss, which included future Texas congressman, senatorial candidate, and presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke on bass. And now gubernatorial candidate, I believe. They had some nice things to say about each other Yeah, uh, in in the press when this came out. And, And Beto? Yeah. Okay, I think Cedric said, uh, you know, he hopes Beto runs for president uh, before that really was official. And yeah, uh, I I think Beto is is thanked on some at the drive in liner notes. Damn. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Way to go. So should we talk about this interstitial? It's cool. It's fine. Or or is it not cool? (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. I, I don't think it's bad. It's just interstitial music, but it's not. It doesn't catch me. I'm not like, oh, yeah. oh, I want to listen to this. I'm just kind of like, right. eh. I, I I appreciate it uh, for for a couple things. I think giving me a break uh, after Roulette Dares, I appreciate, and and I think what Matt said earlier that like 
This was uh, this was like a highly anticipated record from a bunch of guys that were in an extremely popular band, and they put out something that really requires you to pay attention and have some patience. Mm-hmm. And uh, good good for them. Yeah, I think my gripe with it is I find the guitar part really interesting, and then the noodling like electronics over it just kind of pointless and i wish that they had developed like i kind of wish they had leaned more into like okay well let's create like an interesting soundscape interstitial you know a minute 29 is fine but it doesn't go anywhere it's not developed it's just like let's just do this little guitar line and then and then uh add some like quirky little effects on top but it's not really they don't approach these interstitials in the same way that they approach the thoughtfulness of their song construction. And that to me felt like a missed opportunity. Mm. I wish they had, um, like I wouldn't have minded listening to this tune in like a two or three minute developed thing, but as a one minute 29 with like a, the guitar part is interesting, but doesn't really go anywhere. And then these just like, silly little electronics bouncing around on top um it kind of doesn't it it's too in an uncanny valley for me it's like (laughs) it's like trying to be like a soundscape but it's not quite interesting enough to listen to yeah Uh, Yeah. if you try to listen to it it's just kind of annoying i think you i think you hit it there yeah the uh the guitar part reminds me a lot of of something you hear on a godspeed record and i think they would have killed it with that part did you mean god smack (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah you're right you're right uh, yeah stained Ooh, it was stained, stained. that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> time for drunk shit let's do it <laughs> please <laughs> they played this for like 45 minutes at that electric factory show oh my god sounds right and uh it really stuck with me realized when listening to this before how much it's like got western vibes like a cowboy <laughs> cowboy movie is it because of the uh, auxiliary percussion the, the conga and the the sound of the guitar the guitar uh, sound the, i can see that yeah. yeah 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 really hitting that old reverb tank i really like this opening the like the, the ox stuff is really clear the guitars are really clear. The bass line's cool. The drums are cool, and the vocals. This I, I think this might be the tune, where he has that like, really, um, glam rock, just really sells the vocals. I think yeah, I like this song a lot. This is the only song where I noted really really liking the bass part like the flea contribution um i don't feel like he's 
bring in it in a way that's that noteworthy. If, I mean, a lot of solid playing, of course, but and this this song in particular, I think it's the bass part is really good. So I, I remember reading a, an interview about Flea playing on this mm-hmm. album. And I, I think it was Omar telling this story that they they were like friends with the Chili Peppers and they, they knew they wanted to ask Flea to do it. And he said, okay, I'll come play on your record. And he came to the studio and, and he had like his standard bass setup. You know, he plays these custom basses with like super hot active pickups. And they brought out like a vintage P bass. Mm-hmm. And they're like, um, could you just please play this instead? Which... I think fits a lot with what they try to do in the Mars Volta. Yeah. But I think it also maybe explains a little bit why Flea doesn't totally fit in, Mm -hmm. right? Like, he showed up for this job and he brought his tools and they told him, oh, we don't want you to do that. Like, almost like we don't want you to play like Flea. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So why, yeah. Why yeah. hire him? Why did they hire yeah. him? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I feel like the bass on this record in general is pretty unremarkable and kind of gets lost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the parts where it does stand out is usually in the parts where it's noodly in that sort of like 70s prog way that they don't really execute very well because um, the bass part does it, but the guitars and the rest of the arrangement don't really go there and so it just feels it feels out of place and so for me it's like the bass either either is like completely buried and you don't hear it or it's stands out a little too much in a not great way well obviously john prushanti is is featured a little bit on this record but i heard in something i listened to that like by maybe it was amputecture John played like everything and Omar just directed everyone. So like I I heard that Omar didn't even really play guitar. He just let John Frusciante play what he told him to play, which I'm like, that's crazy. (laughs) That is crazy to me that a, that Omar wouldn't want to play it himself. And that B John Frusciante was like, okay, just tell me all the parts and I'll learn them. And like the whole thing just seems a little weird to me. I feel like that's kind of what I was trying to say earlier that like maybe maybe Omar's real skill is not at being a phenomenal guitar player it's he's a he's a band leader it's, it's what he likes to do and it's what he's good at yeah yeah that's interesting and I think he's pretty uh self-conscious of that like aware of that um yeah because I was reading about um a comment from him I, can't, I don't remember all of his bands but one of the band the maybe his one of his current ones um he was talking about like yeah this is like a band it's the first time i've been in a band for um a really long time because he's like all everything else i've done i'm like the leader mm-hmm. but this is like a band that's sort of like a cooperative unit um I think I read that, and I think it was Bosnian Rangers. Yeah, that's right. That's that's right. Yeah, he was talking about that band, and he was saying that it's more like collaborative. But everything else he's been in, it's just been his thing. It's he does everything for it. That was the way he described it, 
which I thought was interesting for, you know, maybe there's like a shorthand there that he's not saying, but like, obviously Cedric is a big part of this band and it's interesting to hear him say that to like an interviewer, like, yeah, this was all my band. This was my band. The Mars Volta was me. Um, yeah. When... That was like the height of them talking trash about each other too. Yeah, that I don't, yeah I don't know all the yeah. history and stuff, but you could easily argue that Cedric is the most distinct part of this band. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've it's it's a classic dynamic, yeah. right? It's it's Page and Plant and and uh, you know Mick and Keith. And, yeah, yeah, that's true. They they belong together. <laughs> Can we listen to one fifty one? Yeah. I just wrote, oh, About halfway through there, when it starts going like, blah, 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 I don't like that as much. <laughs> oh, actually, that's my favorite part. I love that part. <laughs> you do? Yeah, because uh, they change up the the feel, and yeah. I like. To me, those hits. Not to bring it back too bring much on there, but that's like that was an effective use of it, and it's like not complicated, yeah. and um, it just gets you to be yeah. like, fuck yeah, and yeah. It's cool. It's loud. There's like they create a lot of space, then they play a lot of notes, and then they create a lot of space, and then they change the meter, um, mm. and it feels really neat. Yeah. We we earmarked this as a time to talk about John Theodore bringing the heat. Oh yeah, yeah. Talk about. I I, I think he does. <sighs> right here. So Matt, yeah. what do you think of John Theodore? Is he an inductee into the League of Drummers? <laughs> I believe he did get an invite i mean yeah he's a phenomenal drummer i mean like dude's got some chops um i think the production on this record definitely removes a lot of the musicality that i think he's got um like i think Mm. this is a moment actually where it'll be interesting to hear this um with a little bit of a different production because he plays the phrasing's really interesting the way he plays that um that syncopation in this this section um but everything on the I think like he's technically really proficient on this record but I think a lot of the things that they get lost and it's it's so squeezed and flat throughout the whole thing that's just like a wall of sound and you don't really get to hear any of the nuance and cool phrasing that I think he's probably doing or definitely capable of um and i like i again i think that's like where this record to me could have been much cooler as if they had leaned into like okay let's play some like try doing different things dynamically and with the phrasing as opposed to just really cool fast loud stuff yeah 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 rick rubin's not a, a big dynamics guy i don't I always have 
really been super impressed also with Thomas Pridgen. I think he might have gotten an invite to the League of Drummers too. But I think people tend to think uh, John Theodore. I, I think it also should be mentioned that the the people who are the drummers for the Mars Volta are sort of heroes because they <laughs> have to keep... <laughs> They live. They have to keep that band from going completely off the rails. Yep. Which, if the drummer is not driving the thing, it would go. It would just be the worst. <laughs> the way that they all yeah. just kind of go off and do their own thing all the time. He's a good man for the job, right? I mean, he's not. He plays loud. He's physically imposing. <laughs> yeah, and he seems uh, inexhaustible. Yeah. He's the drummer now for Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, is that right? I think I looked it up this week, and I think he's still... But I don't know. I thought he still was, cool. yeah. but I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I've, I've loved like everything I've heard him on. I, I, think, I think the story of him with this band was like... you know I think they were all a little disappointed in how the production of this one turned out. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll keep bringing up Francis the Mute as, as the height of their powers. And then I think on Amputecture, he was like famously turned down so low in the mix that he kind of left in a rage mm. yeah so did he leave the band is that i think so yeah I think it was his call okay mm. he was unhappy he was unhappy with some things and cedric and omar were like yeah. we didn't really know how to talk things through and you know rock bands aren't really great at like they said we think he was unhappy for a while and then just got to the point where he was like i'm done so we, we just turned him down. We didn't. They did him dirty. I think we would be better at being in a rock band now. Now that we're nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, man. Uh, there, how many things can you really say you're, you're not better at uh, at 36 than you were at, uh, you know? But a 21. rock band <laughs> might actually benefit from the tension and the... And I don't think well, there was a lot of tension in our band, honestly. I think that like we would be better at like articulating, communicating. yeah, communicating, yeah, basically. I think we were pretty good for our age, but I don't think we ever were like. I don't think we did a great job of that kind of thing. I mean, it never came to blows. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty tame. We were all quite amiable guys. Uh, yeah. Oh, I wanted to say I always thought the line was "nobody is hurt," and it's "nobody is heard." I thought it was home. Oh, I knew that one. <laughs> you thought it was home? <laughs> Nobody's home. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just. I, I, this is one of those records where, like, I knew. I actually didn't know the like full story behind the lyrics until we yeah. started recording this. I knew though that it was like conceptually there was like a story, but the lyrics are just so convoluted I could never really in it, and the music's just so such a wall of noise. I'm like, kind of just uh, listen to the vocals for the melody, but the words are kind of just gobbledygook. Yeah, me too. They really are just gobbledygook. Like they're, I didn't, I did not realize until today when I was looking at the lyrics while watching it like watching it go um yep. i was like 
oh man <laughs> these are not as cool as i expected them to be i mean we talked about cake and said that the, his lyrics were a little bit surrealist i mean this is just like straight up surrealism lyrics like let's put these words together <laughs> i think that might be kind of what he prides himself on like yeah loose on the meaning uh but just having fun with stringing things together. I mean, it has a sort yeah. of stream of consciousness. Like, you just kind of, like, put some things out there. Sometimes it's pretty cool. Televators has some really cool stuff. It, it's another, like, classic part that I think of with this album, the nobody has heard part. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm interested what you guys think of the, um, there's more hits coming up. And I'd like to get Matt's opinion on these hits. It's like the. It's not. I don't know if it's really hits. It's the. Section yeah. Do 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 <laughs> I was hoping that that would slide without You know Cedric would just slide all over the place. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> you can't help but move your feet like that. Yeah. yeah. That's Cedric's shuffle. Yeah. I mean those are the same hits as as in the beginning, yeah. Um, I was gonna say, I thought we heard that already. Yeah, it's the same as the, the introduction and I I I think it's kinda cool. They're not like they're fast. Uh-huh. And then it feels like it has musical value. It moves into the next section, they repeat it. Yeah. So it has like you feels yeah. so good when that beat comes in. Yeah, the in. beat comes in and then the like vocals kind of just layer across the top really floaty. So it feels to me it feels effective because you're like you're creating this tension and then it kind of releases into this um this section that then, you know, does a theme and variation on it. So I don't know, it feels that part feels effective um unlike yeah. the opening. I like it. I really love the the sound they make as a unit playing in unison. It's like this great like honk <laughs> that they just all make together. <laughs> yeah. But I will say by this point in the record, my ears start to get tired of the plotting on. Um, yeah, the first half of this record it, it, it goes down hard. Yeah. It's it is packed full of noise. Yeah. I think yeah, um this album definitely hurts my ears. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, You're an old old man. No, I think it's just it feels like thin, in a way. Like, I don't know. They're not doing any. I mean, it's, it's a lot of the same. It's yeah. a lot of variations of the same thing. It's not like, it's not the uh, volume that hurts my ears. Yeah. It's the it's the like, yeah. 
It, it wears you yeah. down. Yeah. It's, it's a little... It's tiring. Yeah. Well, let's get into um, the... Ariatarka. <laughs> I think you got it. Ariatarka. <laughs> There's the Pennsylvania spin on it. <laughs> I really like this uh, the beginning of the song yeah and it is a nice it yeah. does kind of change the pace it yeah. feels for a good little while when it comes around <laughs> but not yeah I look forward to yeah. it it feels like a little bit of a change of pace here got the six the waltzy mm-hmm. feel Yeah. I always thought they said the word talisman there. It's not what they say. I, Gallowsman? Gall- I don't know what it is. I also think it's the, probably one of the more interesting bass lines. Mm-hmm. It's a good bass line. Yeah. Do we know if Flea wrote these? I don't know. Sorry. Do you guys know what the chorus lyrics are? Because I wrote them down. Let's hear them. And I was very upset to hear them. Okay. When, to read them. <laughs> Let's... Track marked amoeba lands craft, cartwheel of scratches, dress the tapeworm as pets. (laughs) I knew that one. That one stuck out. Tentacles smirk, please. Flinched the cocooned meat. Infra recon forgets. (laughs) What was the the cocooned meat one? (laughs) Flinched the cocooned cocooned meat. meat. That one always stuck out to me. That one's that one always sounded super no. clear. The tapeworms and the cocooned meat have you understood dress the tapeworm out. as pets? Yeah. How on earth could these be clear? Like I don't know. I always knew that one. Maybe I looked it up years ago. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Even if you thought you heard that, you'd be like, "There's no way that's what he's saying." I just gotta roll with it. None of you had tapeworm pets? <laughs> I just got one for a yoni. Oh my god. Oh, oh good grief. <laughs> okay. Tentacles smirk, please. <laughs> is it tentacles smirk, please? Or is it like yeah. tentacles smirk, please? <laughs> is he commanding the tentacles to smirk? Or is he, like, exasperated that they smirked? (laughs) Tentacle smirk, please. What's the source on these? I mean, it could just be me and whatever asshole wrote these on the internet heard the same nonsense. Is it the Spotify lyrics? No, that was the Apple Music. Apple Music, okay. Yeah, Uh, those are submitted by the artist. um, Because they're they're matched. um, Pretty sure those uh, are accurate. Good lord. Interesting. There is a line later on is this wrong feels so wrong is he referring to the rest of the lyrics he <laughs> <laughs> was asking the guys during rehearsal and they just rolled with it i think the only part of it i ever could tell what it was was is this wrong feels so wrong yeah. and had him on a respirator in the basement yeah i have the guitar solo at 208 marked okay <laughs> 
The bass part's very cool there. Was that a guitar solo? I wasn't paying attention. It it was kind of a lead. The tail end. Yeah. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff I was saying earlier. Like, you, you can't have Omar play in a band that he's not in control of. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't invite this guy <laughs> to jam with you and just shit all over whatever you're doing. <laughs> That is a very good point. <laughs> I appreciate this song because it does. It's the first time we feel like a real shift yeah. sonically into a new space. Like they're doing a, the the guitar sounds are noticeably different. Um, the bass line is interesting. Uh, I had four oh nine to five minutes. And I wrote, I like how it goes to like a halftime feel. Yeah, this is very cool. I gotta get the dub in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I could understand those lyrics. I could understand that part, yeah. <laughs> That kind of sounds like the intro to the whole album, maybe. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, they, they really bring back the, the vibe from the, the intro. That's the tapeworm of pets. <laughs> Cocoon meat. I don't know why would does the cocoon the cocooned meat. (laughs) Oh wait wait wait! Uh, The cocoon is using that as a verb. (laughs) Yeah, cocoon. The meat is cocooned. (laughs) Yeah, before you flinch it. Oh man. It is <laughs> Lyri- lyrics aside. It is cool that they are they are bringing back elements uh you know they're 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 bringing in some light motif there and those like yeah. drum parts and that's cool. Um It's cool. But I, yeah. I don't know. I think this song is really good um, where it is on the album. I I think maybe they could have made it a little shorter, which the next couple songs in general, I'm like, it it doesn't really move along. There's just a lot of cruft. Um, Cruft? And I could, for (laughs) sure. Yeah. Is that, not a is word? that one of the lyrics that we missed? <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I've never heard that word before. <laughs> I was waiting for Kisner's face. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what cruft is. 
you uh you made me you made me worry that this is a word that I totally had misheard and and no i just my own, but i no, guarantee it's, it's just not a word i know no it it, it is because i then i had to look it up because i was like oh shit did i like say a non-word and uh, <laughs> no it is superfluous um yeah a, a jargon jargon for anything left over redundant yeah. get in the way nice a lot of this album there's just extra bits that just feel like they don't really li- they don't they don't push the song to new interesting places. I think like the guitar solo in this one is a good example. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's just there. It's not like doing anything. Uh, a lot of the ambient stuff. Maybe this is a good time for me to talk about my biggest beef and criticism of the, of the Mars Volta engine. All right, let's do it. <laughs> um, so I, I, there's a concept in graphic design known as negative space and, and, or sometimes it's just called white space um the stuff left empty in the layout and negative space they don't do negative space very well like they're 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 always making noise even between the tracks there's these and it's kind of cool sometimes it's just like there is a place for utilizing negative space well and the part the part that makes my ears tired is just like Oh my gosh. And and I would say even on later albums it gets worse. Um Francis the Mute is my favorite of their albums, but after that it gets to a point where it's like, man, I can't listen to most of the songs on some of these records. Uh cuz it's just too much. It's like they wanted to start writing more poppy tunes, but their poppy tunes all sound like roulette dares <laughs> or something along those lines. Yeah. And when you string 12 of those together, I, I, I can't. I can't do it. I guess. I don't think they're very poppy. I think a lot of them are not very good. Ma- maybe poppy is the, the wrong word. but They wanted to have a record that almost felt like there was no... Letting up. Yeah. And it, everything transitions into the next thing, and there's always there's always sound happening. And I think that that's the part that, like you said, I think they could have used the transition bits more effectively if they had they didn't it almost feels like they're like we just don't want there to ever not be silence and so we just filled the void with extra crap and instead of actually developing that extra crap into something that's interesting to listen to they could have done like some of i think like actually it is the end of this song has this like really kind of warbly just feedback loop happening and that could be really cool. They could have developed it. They could have like played with the dynamics. They could have like uh, found a way to to thread that in. But it's just it just feels like noise to be noise, and it yeah it, as just a way to sort of like make sure that a song goes into the next one and is more than four and a half minutes long. Um, Backwards yeah. drums. Yeah, it's like they're trying to cram as much into your ears at one time as possible, and they're like, let's do it as fast as we possibly can. Well, they do want to jab your ears. (laughs) (laughs) They do want to jab it. They want to jab it. it. But, like, they could have done the ambient stuff, and they could have made it really cool. Um, And sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's No, most of the time it's not. It's just they didn't... Yeah, um, I, I feel like we're all asking for more space and uh, breathing room. Yeah, and in about four minutes, we're all gonna complain about 
how much space and breathing room <laughs> we call. get. But it's not silent. It's like helicopter noises for a minute. It, it it's to use Matt's word. It's cruft in it that is. song. We should listen to cicatrices. Cicatrices. <laughs> I like this one. We come out strong in support of it. Now, what's the ESP stand for on this one? <laughs> I think it's consistent throughout. <laughs> I think probably one out of ten times I pick up a guitar, I play this riff for just no good reason. This is a cool riff. Very cool. Just a dumb two-note riff. It's cool. Flea is very prominent here. Flea sticking out makes it more interesting because they're they're playing the same thing, and so his slightly nuanced differences make it more interesting. I think it's the tone that I'm like. Eh. I think the it's tone a is a little bit more fleaish. Yeah. Than yeah. like than the other tracks that he plays on. Maybe it's the ba- maybe it's the bass he played. I don't know. But it has that kind of like poppy. Sound yeah, that he has in like chili peppers. I'll tell you my my usual uh, listening to this album over the last ten years is uh, track one, followed by track five, and then seven through ten. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I I, I like I really like this song. Um. But it's just so much noise. How do you feel about the helicopter breakdown? I think it's cool. (laughs) Is that the part that Frashani plays on? No, like, between the verse and the chorus, it drops out. You just kind of hear this chopper sound. Uh, I think that's cool. Gotta get to the chopper. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why they put Arnold on the record. Really stands out. I think I should do more uh, voices. (laughs) Is that him uh, being transported to the hospital by a, oh, by a helicopter? That's interesting. He's he's had his overdose and now he's getting he's getting airlifted. Yeah. Again, this feels like bad jamming. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There are there are cool Frushanti parts in there, but I don't know where they are. Yeah, I I remember seeing that Frushanti played on this track, and I was like so excited, and then just like don't get any of the cool Frushantiness. I think this would like, be why it, like why even hire him to do it? I don't know. To go with your bad jam point. Matt, I feel like if you saw this live, you'd be like, "Ah, this is cool!" Like it would just, you just kind of, I don't know, go along with it for a little while. But I don't know, putting it on that album, it doesn't feel like there's a lot in here that you need. Yeah, they don't feel like they're really listening to each other, um, which is okay. You know, that can be, that can be super effective. Like each member doing their own thing. But again, they're still like all playing in the same time. It just feels like kind of thoughtless jamming. Um, 
And yeah, like why put it on here? Um, How long is the track, by the way? It's twelve twenty-nine. Ooh, it's Ooh. very long. You mentioned the um, Pink Floyd uh, inspiration. I think you can probably mm-hmm. hear a little bit of that in here, but it's it. I don't know. It just doesn't feel that interesting. I've never had the patience for Pink Floyd. <laughs> I'm just gonna be real honest. It's fair. The um, build up and then kicking back into the main song is really like gratifying. I think that's why I usually write it out. It's fun when they bring it back. Yeah, it just doesn't really go like it's just a long bit in the middle that doesn't get developed. Yeah, it could definitely be shorter. (laughs) Like they had this really rocking meathead riff. And then they were like, instead of writing parts or taking it somewhere, let's just noodle for 10 minutes and then just go back into the meathead riff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if I buy it. I think there's more structure to it than, than we're giving it credit for here. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think one, I think one member of this band went into this with a plan. And he didn't tell it to anybody else. Mm. No, I yeah, I mean that's that's a oversimplification what I said, but it's more just to illustrate the general feeling of listening to it. Yeah, that's like prob- I think it's, I think it has interesting moments. It's just they don't develop yeah. it. They could have really done, like just had everybody go into their own completely different sonic space. The drums could have played and it could have done interesting things like out of time tonally they could have like taken it um and played and stretched the tonality and like taken it into different places uh but they just kind of stay it's like they wanted to push it outside the box but then they just didn't really they stayed inside and mm. it just kind of it just ends up getting falling a little flat and being a little derivative and boring Did he just quote Santana? Maybe. Very possible. I mean, there's there's Latin beats and pentatonic scales. It's all a Santana quote. How long is this build? Yeah, in this song you're like, oh, well, it's it's getting close to the build up part and then you're like two minutes later you're just like fuck it's still going <laughs> lord you guys are super into edging oh there it goes Whew. I just jizzed in my pants it's, it's satisfying when when you get back to that's that that's cool yeah but they could have like taken 10 seconds and then got back into it and be like oh that's cool it's not what this band's about <laughs> but it, i mean again i i don't take issue with the taking the long way it's just the long way wasn't interesting i i i really love the uh closing three tracks i think this is a great run of three songs if i pick up this album for any reason it's usually to listen to this run 
All right. Well, hmm. let's with that review. You're just putting your putting your cards on the table there. Yeah. Some more ring modulator for you. That was just a little goofy pick scrape. Could be. This song feels like it's a different sort of flavor. This song yeah. feels like Amputecture or Bedlam. Wish they had nixed the. I wish they had nixed the effects on the vocals there. Here it's okay, but in the in that first part, yeah. That little guitar looks cool. Yeah, I like the groove there. Yeah. I don't like this one. What? Coming this, in hot. this is my least favorite on the album. It just feels like a lot of stuff that we've already heard before on this record. Oh, okay. And, and you've waited. It doesn't stand out as good. And me. you have to wait so long to get here. I, th- I think it's a like I understand uh, it, they've kind of done it before. It's it's a good uh, I don't know maybe restatement of what they've done well so far. <laughs> I'm not sure that I agree that it sounds like everything else earlier on the album. Yeah. I feel like it has more of a um, almost like tr- tremulent or. Um, like it, it's more kind of jam- like like loose and kind of like almost at the drive-in ish. It does sound more at the drive-in ish than yeah. maybe anything else. Like it, it doesn't yeah. feel like as kind of um, how the other stuff on this album can be kind of pretentious and noodly. Like this song, I don't really get that vibe from it. I don't know. To me, it's it always felt different than the other songs on the album. It stands yeah. out for yeah, yeah whatever yeah. reason. To me, it stands out because it's the one that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it got your attention. <laughs> Counts for something. That's true. <laughs> it's better than being bored. <laughs> I don't know. I think they do. This song does a pretty interesting. It's not my favorite, but I will say I like like that opening bit. The guitars are kind of off on their own. They're like leaning the most into playing atonally in that opening bit um, and just kind of seeing where the sound will take them. And then I like in the in the verse, like the guitar lick kind of just like pops in and out. And I, I like that bit. Um, I think it's probably doing some of the more interesting stuff, but it's, you know, pretty late in the record. I wonder if there is anything to the like bringing back thematic elements because if there is anything to be said of like this somebody overdosed then they're they come out of their coma and then they're like what going back at it and then you know 
uh, I assume Televators is the, is like the um, existential moment of sort sort of a death yeah. scene. Are there any notable moments in this apparatus? Not to Brandon. <laughs> the uh, backward drums. I I put three thirty to four, but I don't remember why. We could try it. I'm betting on backward. It might drums. be the backward drum part. Not the backwards drumming part. I think I just fly that because I like the vocals on that part. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's a pretty cool vocal part there. When he when he like emulates Freddie Mercury, it, like the just the most favorite moments for me on this record. And that one just has yeah. such a Queen feel the, that vocal line. Uh, Televators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we should not play the actual song and just play our acoustic version <laughs> yeah we covered this all four of us on the call yeah where the uh is that like 2004 is that, find that on you figured out was it four i like that the opening of televator is almost has like a i don't know if they are birds or if they're just something to emulate birds but um it's the first moment where we have found sound kind of noticeably mm. and that's where like negative you mentioned negative space before I think that's like a moment where they actually did it well yeah they lowered a stuck in his neck to the yeah it would be nice to have more of this kind of gear yeah. on the album I feel like this song, I don't know, I listen to it and I I feel like a bit of a Nine Inch Nails vibe in a good way. Um, oh, I would have never thought it, but now that you say that, I, I can yeah. see it. Yeah. I would never call this band an electronic band in, in any way. Right? They've got a real kind of rootsy vibe. No, it's the, it's the starkness. Yeah. It's the starkness. Like Nine Inch Nails, I think is, I mean they're like heavy industrial, but they are really good at um, creating a sort of eerie space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's the the tone of it feels right yeah. for a Nine Inch Nails record. Yeah, I love this one. I I think it might be partially because we covered it that I feel like I know this one kind of the ins and outs of this one where I don't on any of the other songs as much as this one but I love this one I hate the line three half eaten corneas though <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hate that uh, that'll, that'll stay with you forever <laughs> yeah. you will never forget that line no 
credit to Cedric. Is it because he was full? Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A cornea doesn't seem like... Yeah. It's like a, just that you pop it in. It's not yeah. that you like take a bite of. It's like an it's M&M. Like, yeah, like who has half-eaten <laughs> M&Ms sitting around? Also, it's an odd number, which just <laughs> is weird. Yeah. yeah. It's the it's the most songy song on here. Yeah. It's the most distinct. Yeah, and structurally, it's pretty straightforward. So it's easy to kind of know it as opposed to the other songs. I think something that speaks to that point, uh, as much as I listened to the Mars Volta over the years, this is the only song I ever learned how to play front to back. Yeah. It, it stands on its own. I think a lot of the rest of the record for me, it's a lo- it, it all sort of starts, especially at this point, it's all kind of blended together into one big mush. Um, yeah. Even though they tried hard to separate them with these soundscapes, etc., it just up until now it's just just felt like a lot of the same. Um, and then this is like a, the first noticeable departure. Yeah, because it's so different than like they're actually playing a plotting, restrained, whereas so much of the album is just like in your face. It's it's a nice statement. I mean, after listening to the the previous eight tracks, I maybe wouldn't have believed they could do this. If the first part of the album is overdosing, slipping into a coma, and this sort of like what's happening in your brain while you're in a coma, and then you come out of it, and then have this like i'm assuming televators is sort of this just like self-reflection like what am i doing with my life and then you you take it um it's interesting that like i don't know if i were to think about like writing music for being in a coma it wouldn't have been so like chaotic that that's like yeah. that's the brainscape is is all this chaos and then sort of the moment of lucidness is this like really slow very songy song um which is just it's interesting it kind of for me is a little bit of an inverse of what i think my intuition would be of like writing music for a coma might be like just really ambient out there static like not much is happening uh, as opposed to wakefulness but they sort of invert that which is interesting one day this chalk outline will circle this city was he right the asphalt that cushioned his face a room called charlatan hid in the safe stalk the ground stalk the ground you should have seen that that bit that just played really reminds me of Kisner's Fedge quote from earlier. Like, I heard at the drive-in, where did this guy come from? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really yeah. good vocals. <laughs> Save your grace, save your 
love the last line. Everyone knows the last toes are always the coldest to go. That's another one that sticks in my head. I think about yep. a lot. It's so silly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds so profound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Let's keep going. Let's, let's take the veil serving tax. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, I like what Flea is doing on this one. I think everybody brings their A-game for this one. <laughs> Seems a little out to drive any. Yeah. You didn't know like vocals. Yeah. Big time in the delivery of the vocals. This is where these hits are cool. Yeah, this has always been one of my favorites. Yeah. And I think this more up-tempo, like what most of the album is, it feels a lot better when it's paced with after televators yeah that's true might be one of my favorites on the album um i wrote weird guitar solo breakdown at 340 i don't know if this is something i mark because i like it or don't let's get weird (laughs) oh yeah this feels very omar yeah. Yeah. I wanted more of this than the rest of the album. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I think that's that's a good example of like where it's a it's an interesting part and it gets developed. It has like a phrasing that feels <laughs> noticeable and then it's it's developed even more once the band comes in that's kind of cool you guys ever listen to you guys ever listen to battles yeah no it kind of sounds like battles that. riff yeah right yeah
Yeah, the opener and the closer were on point. Yeah. This song in general feels representative of the album in general. Overall, it takes like um, a lot of the same themes and plays them. Uh, I think it just does like an effective job of like encapsulating the entire feel of the album in one song. Like it has the hard hitting stuff. It has the sort of interstitials, um, some walls of noise, some really cool vocals, some cool hits. And it's sort of just like, to me is like what the rest of the album was sort of trying to do, uh, but captured in one song. Somebody sent us a text. Uh, I think maybe it was Joe. What What are your favorite uh, splooge moments? <laughs> and uh, that this is mine. Yeah. Who brought me yeah. here? I don't think I'm on that yeah. text chain. No, you are. You are on it. You're definitely on it. <laughs> we have a separate non, uh, which for just our splooge uh, discussions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's not just about music. It's just just good splooges throughout life. <laughs> we call ourselves the three splooges. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> oh, no. That's going to get out. That can't land on this. All right. Let's, let's wrap it up because it's almost 1 a.m. here. Um, Overall impressions. Final takes. I mean, uh, it's still really... Um, nostalgic for me and i i enjoy listening to it um i think the like we were saying the production and the sequencing can make it tough and my ears hurt and it doesn't sound yeah like i i just kept thinking even like i was listening to this on like earbuds um, and then I was like, oh, I should wear like my over ear headphones and it's cause it felt really thin. Um, but it, it's not that it's just, it just kind of has like a, I don't know if it's thin or flat kind of quality to it. Um, but I still really love it. So, um, it's, it's good. I like it. I mean, I, I still, I still play it, but rarely all of it the whole way through. Uh, I tend to jump to, you know, sections of it that I'm most excited about. Um, I do still, you know, I still feel the excitement of it, you know, when when certain parts come around. I I remember, you know, hearing it the first time and, and like, being really pumped that I'd never heard anything like it before. And, like, I was excited about it. I was into it. But I still remember Francis the Mute coming out and thinking like, oh, this is it. Like, this is the correct version of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the production. It's the songwriting. It's, it's, it's finding the right bass player for their band. Uh, they hit it all a little better the second time around, I think. And uh, that's, that's what I go back for way more often, but... This yeah, I mean, it's hard to uh, it's hard to forget that feeling of like, man, I've never heard a band like this before, and I wish I were in it, and I just I just want to hang out in that feeling. 
Yeah, I I agree. It was it was interesting to return to this one um, because I feel like it's not something I've listened to a lot in the past decade. And uh, I, but I also think like when I think about the Mars Volta, I'm like, oh, they're one of my favorite bands. And um, but looking back on this album, I feel like I. I overlooked a lot of things and I was like on board for a lot of things that are looking at it now. I'm like, eh, I'm not as on board anymore. Like, I don't think it's quite as cool. Um, but, uh, I will say, I think Francis the mute, the follow-up to this one is pretty perfect. I, I love Francis the mute. Um, and I always preferred that one to this one, but, uh, it, this is this one even though i don't like the individual songs as much as uh francis the mute i feel like there's definitely something great about the way that this one's put together and it's just a great debut album for this band yeah i um i think there's some interesting bits and pieces i should go back and listen to francis the mute i haven't i haven't listened to that in probably like 10 years or more we've thoroughly oversold it <laughs> yeah give it a yeah. give it like I mean, a week yeah <laughs> i think i was i don't know like i came to this i remember how impressed i was with a lot of it i think i agree with joe the production bothered me uh a little bit um just the over overuse of sound effects in a like haphazard way um it just it feels like a record that like uh they were trying to bite off something really really big and i don't know that they really were able to deliver i think um it has moments that are really interesting but it is really tiring like it just it i feel at the end of it i just feel exhausted and maybe that's the the point is to just wear you down, <laughs> stab you in the ear. But um, by the end, I just I feel like I actually I think the last song is probably my favorite, but it would take me trying to get through it all. I just it would be really hard to get there. I, I would be curious to see if, if Francis, it's like they take this and they they find how to tighten it up and or, or push it in more into more avant garde places like really play with some of the some of the sounds but it just it felt like kind of just not non-committal in that way um like wanting to be a really out there um avant-garde kind of expression with these like proggy um post hardcore punk stuff uh mixed in but it just kind of it just didn't really go the full distance to get there but the vocals, I freaking love the vocals on this. It's the, like to me, oh, and again, like I wish they just like please take the sound effects. I I actually would be really curious to hear this record remixed. Um, would be really interesting. Yeah, coming up on twentieth uh, anniversary, maybe we'll get a we'll get a reissue. So, in wrapping up, how many half-eaten corneas are we giving this album? <laughs> Uh, three and a half out of out of five <laughs> again it can't be an odd number it's all wrong 
<laughs> that can be our new rating system. <laughs> Is three the max? It's got to be more than that. Four maybe is the max? I would say maybe f- out of five. <laughs> out of five half-eaten corneas. Really How do you do three and a half half-eaten corneas? <laughs> yeah. Well, the exciting thing, I don't know that we mentioned this, but the podcast is out now. We, have, we are live and people are hopefully hearing this. So just as a point of you know promotion uh you know follow us give us a review um if you end up at home dressing your tapeworm as pets (laughs) to send us a picture (laughs) and uh nick thank you so much for joining us it's been awesome to have you on the pod and we hope to have you back yeah man and uh yeah uh listen next week i don't think we've decided yet but thanks for listening to the so so cool podcast this week Bye. 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 <laughs>